My name is Parker Bennett, and I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast with Parker Bennett. Um, I'm not Parker Bennett, but I'm here to do a little takeover. My name is Mallory. I'm Parker's assistant, and I'm here today to grill him about who he is, what he (laughs) likes to do, and really just get to know who is Parker Bennett. Who am I? Who am I? Welcome, Parker, to your own podcast. This is really weird because I've never heard anybody introduce this podcast before. Well, get (laughs) used to it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Thanks for... Thanks for entertaining this idea. I think you've had a number of episodes already over the last few years. I think this will be episode 62, so you're you're well-seasoned at podcasting, but this is probably the first time you yourself have been interviewed on your own podcast. This is definitely the first time I've been interviewed. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you don't ask me any silly questions, but if you do, I got silly answers. <laughs> well, let me just hook up the polygraph here and we'll get started. <laughs> I'm hooked. I'm ready to go. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, I think the question on everybody's mind is, what is your favorite thing about me, Mallory? What's my favorite thing about you? <laughs> There's a curveball. <laughs> Well, I got to say, um, the first person to ever grab that mic, uh, like a, like a bull rider at a bull fight, um, it's very impressive to me. So I'm, I'm pretty excited that you're grabbing this podcast by the, by the bull horns. Excellent. Okay. Well, there's our silly question for okay. the, for the time. Thanks. Um, well, I think we'll start off with a, a quick career path to today. You know, you're a realtor. The reason people listen to this podcast is to get information about real estate and Kamloops. Um, you know, it's, it's a part of your profession, the reason you have this podcast. So I think we should focus set, on that. Set the timeline. How did you get to where you are today? Like, I know you've had some career shifts. Tell us, tell us about okay. your path. Let's, let's draw back to age 19. <laughs> 19, I was a, an apprentice heavy-duty mechanic in the lower mainland Fraser Valley area. Mm-hmm. And I was coaxed into buying a foreclosure uh, with a Visa card. It was in Abbotsford. It was uh, a brand new development. This was in the era where leaky condos were just starting to become the norm. The 90s were a very bad leaky condo era for multiplex buildings, especially in the Fraser Valley area. Mm. And I was unaware of this actually, because I didn't know anything about anything, although I thought I did. And, but I had, I had a little bit of, um, let's say debt serviceability because I didn't have any debt. And I had, um, a banker tell me, listen, if you just sign up for this visa, you'll have the down payment to, to put an offer on this foreclosure, which actually was like a penthouse unit, um, in a low rise building. It was maybe three years old tops. It was definitely a leaky condo and there was litigation going on about the building, which is why people were fleeing it. Mm. And ignorantly, I was talked into it. Luckily, it did pan out. Um, I didn't incur any of the costs for the leaky condo issues. And in about a year's time, I, I flipped that property 
which I purchased for $47,000 in foreclosure. It's probably worth half a million more now. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, actually more than half a million. That'd be insane. Um, but anyways, I, I flipped that into buying my first single family detached home. And I kind of feel like, so aside from the condo, cause that was just plain luck. And a lot of learning. And there. a lot of learning. Um, or unlearning, because I don't, I don't even know how that process landed on my lap and then like unfolded perfectly. I probably had a great realtor. Don't even remember his name, by the way. Um, <laughs> and how old were you at this time? I was 19. 19. 19. So when I first talked to the bank, they said, you, your parents will probably have to co-sign for you. But I actually had a pretty good job, so I could debt service this thing. It wasn't very much money. And I never even moved into it. I, I literally rented it out. I rented it out to a chiropractor who later was the guy who wanted to buy it. And we ended up, like, he never moved out. He just ended up buying the property. So it was, it was a cool experience. And it was very lucky because all the pitfalls were there. And somehow I avoided them. What I took from that was that I thought I knew everything about real estate. Um, but the, the good side of it was that I got to buy a single family detached home, which I actually moved into. And then I felt like, as a, as a kid, I kind of matured. Like I had real debt. Yeah. I had like a real commitment to my job now because I had to make this mortgage payment, which was a significant thing in my life, right? Mm-hmm. I had no furniture, by the way. No furniture, I, I no had, booze money. I had nothing. <laughs> I had an empty house with a table and chairs that were given to me and I had a dog. <laughs> Sounds like a 19-year-old to me. <laughs> um, but anyways, that was like... It left such a, a great impression on me because, you know, from there, you know, I bought and sold several times and, and there's never been a point at which owning a piece of property was ever like a, it never put a bad feeling in my stomach. It never, I always did well with buying lower and selling higher. Real estate tends to flow that way. Um, anyways, I was a mechanic. I always dreamed about doing something in the real estate world. One day I went back to school and decided that I would do something about achieving this drive to this passion of real estate. But because I was a pretty mechanical person, I thought home inspections was going to be the the way to get in that door. And uh, I started a home inspection business age 24 Mm -hmm. and did that for nine years, eight and a half years. Primarily here in Kamloops or were you still at the lower mainland? Right here in Kamloops. Excellent. Uh, my favorite city. And then I sold it to a guy who worked for me and um, that was a good experience. And then like, now what do I do? And my wife is like, you're going to be a realtor. I already know the answer to this equation. You just, <laughs> you just haven't admitted it to anybody yet. <laughs> right on. So uh, yeah, I like the, 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 the key factors with real estate that, that touch me. One would be where else can you buy something that that is going to appreciate in the long haul since the day, like forever in history, if you look, real estate has gone up in value. Yeah. On the micro, maybe there's been bumps, ups and downs. There was like a depression in the 1930s. There was this ridiculous interest crash uh, where you had higher interest rates in the late 80s. Um, Everybody who's ever owned a house through that process will always tell you, be careful, real estate can be a a double-edged sword. But realistically, in the macro, it's always gone up. So yep. it's, it's a really good tool. Now, you can buy a million-dollar home if you're primarily using it for your own residential use mm-hmm. for 5% down. Where else can you leverage that kind of buying power 
You know, I've often said if you if you went into a bank, you went into Royal Bank, and you said, "I want a loan. I want to borrow five hundred thousand dollars," and I, all I got to my name is is uh, fifty grand, mm-hmm. but I want to borrow. Half a million dollars, and the good news is I'm going to invest it into you, Royal Bank. They would probably put a strap around your wrist and haul you out of there and send you <laughs> to the insane asylum because that would be risky. Yeah. But you could say, well, I'm, I meant was I was going to buy a house, and they're like, well, no problem. Here, just sign here, and away you go. Mm-hmm. Because good- the world knows that real estate is a great investment. It's a sure thing. It's they're not making any more of it. <laughs> That's true. Isn't that the term? Yeah. Right. And so now you've been a, a realtor now for about eight or nine years? Eight years. Okay. Beauty. Beauty. It's the, it's the law of eight. Eight years as a mechanic, eight years as a home inspector. Oh. I'm what? at year eight, so I'm at the turning point here. I got to yeah. figure out if I'm going to... Is it is it the eight-year itch or is it... Is this, I feel like you have things left to do in realty. Um I have some questions, so we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned, like, did you then always want to be a realtor? It sounds like then it was sort of brewing under the surface when it, the path that led you here. Maybe not as a kid. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I ever saw myself wearing a suit, walking into a house, bedazzling people of the amazing granite countertops. Right. Like, I never really had that image of me. I've also never seen you wear a suit to okay, this right. day, so, <laughs> so I don't know. I still don't think you do that. Check that one off the box. What, as a kid, what did you think you'd be doing? Like, as a like, little five-year-old Parker wanted to be a what when he grew up? Well, little five-year-old Parker wanted a convenience store, and I wanted to, like, sell donuts and gum, <laughs> ice cream, and cool stuff, right? Amazing, yeah. As an adult, now I, I still think that real estate is a cool thing, so it's maybe just a different kind of convenience store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. What a dream as a five-year-old to be the like corner store owner. (laughs) I love it. So colorful. I can remember like my friends, my parents, they'd come over for like coffee, you know, and they'd bring half a dozen donuts and they'd say, here, give this, you know, to Parker. Like he'll be super stoked. (laughs) And I would get six donuts and I'd be like, I only need one, but if I could retail these other five, where could I set up a little stand and sell these other five donuts? I never had an idea to like eat them all. That's so enterprising. I feel like you've always been an entrepreneur. That's for sure. Um, what do you think is one of the most important traits for a realtor to have? Well, that's a great question. Um, I know. <laughs> I, I would break this down into a couple of components. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great traits would be understanding mechanics because I have a mechanical approach to residential real estate. I think you do need to understand as a realtor, you do need to understand the mechanics of a house. I don't think you need to know exactly how to troubleshoot a furnace, but I think you need to know, need to know how to identify some pitfalls right away. Um, I wouldn't think that's the top one. I also think that you need to have some sort of negotiation skills. And I don't think that it's just like hard bargaining negotiating skills, but you need to be able to read people and understand who has the leverage and how best to move forward with the negotiation. Mm-hmm. But then I would say at the top of that list would be, what's that term? Um, do one to others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule, the golden as they rule. say. Well, it's a tweaked golden rule because I think the golden rule has a flaw as well, right? If you're just doing what you think, if you're doing to others what you think you would like to be done to yourself, then you're not really giving the other person the benefit of having a character 
or a background or a position, right? Mm-hmm. You're just assuming that they're just like you, which nobody's going to be like you. So if you could alter that enough to understand, try to understand where people are coming from and why the decisions they're making and why the position they're in and mm-hmm. and how best to approach that for that individual. Yeah. I think that's like empathy then, a certain right. sense of empathy. Empathy. Yeah. Nice. Being able to understand. By the way, my wife would tell me I have no empathy. <laughs> really? Probably. I... I think that you do have empathy. Maybe not sympathy. Maybe, I mean, maybe she knows you, has known you for a lot longer. How long have you been married? Ooh, you did trick me with a trick question. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2002, 2003, 2002. <laughs> so like 20 years, 20 years coming up. Yeah. Do you think this is your 20 year anniversary or next year? I think it's next year. Okay. Yeah. What time, what part of the year is your anniversary? January. Okay, so you would have known. I would have known if okay. we hit it recently. Yeah, <laughs> January fourth. Okay, we'll put it on your two thousand calendar. Two thousand and three. Two thousand and three. <laughs> Got it. What is your typical ideal day as a realtor? I can tell. I've only worked with you for three months, and that's as long as I've worked in real estate now. <laughs> um, but it seems to me that every day is full of a million different up. Op- opportunities to be doing a million different things. Like there's no standard day as a real estate agent, as far as I can tell, but what is your ideal day? Like an ideal day would be you just wake up and everybody just gives in to your demands and (laughs) all your negotiations favor you. All the paperwork is signed. All the paperwork is signed. Nobody forgot to do anything. Yeah. Everybody answers your phone call. Real, realistically though, I think Okay, so when I entered real estate, the thing that got me out of bed as a home inspector wasn't necessarily like finding deficiencies in a house. The thing that I loved about being a home inspector was getting a call from a prospective user of your services and then being very skeptical of your industry and converting them to getting them to book a home inspection with you. That's what I loved. Mm. That was my favorite part of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a call and someone be like, well, you know, what is it that you actually really do? Like, I hear you guys don't even really do anything. Do you actually get on the roof? And I would be able to, you know, empathize where they're coming from and then like translate all the things that we're going to do. And then at the end, convert them into essentially a sale and convert them. So I would say when I became a realtor, that was missing because you don't sell a house every single day, uh, but you look for those little wins. So maybe those little wins are maybe a negotiation that happened that day or uh, maybe um, finding a new client and not just like meeting them and shaking their hands and getting them pre-qualified or whatever, but being able to connect exactly what they're after. That would be like a little win. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I needed those little wins every day to, you know, if you came to work and you didn't do anything for 14 days, you didn't have anything that you could say was a win. I think that would really drown me. <laughs> no kidding. So yeah, just those kind of those little trinkets. It's not necessarily like putting a sold sign up or, you know, handing keys over. Yeah. The um, little ones. Because those those wins are cumulative, right? Right. You know, there's a negotiation in there. You gotta like like the house. You gotta make sure you gotta qualify the house. You gotta make sure that the bank's on board. You gotta, you know, make sure that the family's smiling when they pull into the driveway and that it's gonna function for all their little 
you know, the school's got to be the right school and all those little wins tally up to handing over keys. Mm-hmm. So yeah. nice. It's a nice way to look at it. Seeing the little wins is the, uh, I think some people maybe don't have the skill to, to recognize a little win when it's happening. Right. What would you say is an essential and perhaps underrated tool in the profession of being a real estate agent? Easy. Data. Tell me more. There is all kinds of data at our fingertips. And everyone's always asking you, how's the market? Where are we going with the market? And there's this trend to like just follow what people are actually saying. You click on the news, real estate's up, you know, it's hard to buy a house, you know, first time home buyers are struggling over asking prices, all this. You can look at the actual data and you can come up with more intimate details about what's going on today as opposed to like globals reviewing data that are six months old. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at many trends that are going on like day to day. And I think that's not utilized enough because I think people get into the habit of following the feeling of what the spring market is doing. Or, you know, let's say lots of over asking prices. I know we were not so much in that now in this exact market we're in, but eight weeks ago, it seemed like every single family detached home was going over ask. Mm -hmm. I looked at the data and it was only half the houses. It just seemed like they were all going over ask. But when you came down to looking at the data firsthand, all the good ones in the good subdivisions were going over ask, but there were still houses that were being negotiated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look intimately at the data that's going on right now, you'll see a trend for the last two weeks showing that sales are way down. And meeting with consumers and people that are listing their house right now are probably still feeling the vibrant nature of what the media is telling you the story, like with the story that the media is telling you about what the real estate market is doing. It's, it's booming inflation, hot, 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 hot. It's the spring. It's the best time to sell. But then you look typically in our market, we'll have 200 to 300 listings that are active inside the city limits at any given time Mm -hmm. in a normal market for us. Like let's say the last three years. Uh, through this recent COVID, the end of COVID pandemic, where the market's been really hot, we maybe had 150. And now you're seeing 25, 30 listings coming on a day and only six, seven, eight, nine coming off. Well, that only takes four days and you have 50% more inventory. Mm-hmm. Today, we have 50 listings on that market. Wow. So that's our inventory is going up and the sales are starting to cool off. So there's like real intimate data showing a different trend that probably global news is not talking about yet. And it just takes looking at it, I suppose. So you heard it here first, people. Market's shifting. The market is absolutely shifting. I wouldn't say it's... Uh, we talked about this on a different podcast, and I'll give credit to Derek Strokon about the bubble theory he had about popping. You know, there's no real estate bubble. It doesn't pop. Because when you pop a bubble, it disintegrates and you have nothing left. Right. Whereas a market contracts and expands. The question on my mind is, I pronounce realtor, realtor, and I have heard many times in this office, realtor, like there's an extra syllable between the L and the T. Right. What is the truth? Realtor or realtor? Realtor. 
Realize. I hear that, but my, what comes out of my mouth is the word realtor. 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 R-E-A-L-T-O-R. Realtor. But realtor. Have you, have you ever noticed this? Yeah, I, I, now that you mention it, yes. <laughs> but I, I don't think I've ever paid any attention to it before. But What is the truth? Um, I, I, I think it's real because real estate... Real property. It should be real tour. Real tour. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of sounds like a dinosaur now that we're really super pronouncing it. But right. But then there's also the the name that my youngest gave me because she miss was misinformed about real tour uh-huh. and thought it was real estater. Real estater. And that is a catchy word. I like that word. Isn't that your Instagram handle? It's my Instagram handle. <laughs> PB real estater yeah. for those who are not yet in the know, which by the way is where you share a lot of your Kamloops based statistics you that go. you do constant research on. So follow along folks. When I first started, it was like, I want to sell this many houses this year. Okay. So you're not going to sell a house every day. Um, But let's say the first goal was like 50 houses. So how many houses a week? That's pretty much, if you take two weeks holidays, this is a house a week, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, on Wednesday, if you haven't sold a house, it's looking pretty grim, (laughs) right? Like you're not going to sell a house in two days Mm because you got two weeks of due diligence to, to smack out of there. So I think it might, you have to back it up further and be like, okay, well, how many showings am I going to do in order to get to write an offer? And how many offers will I have to write, you know, to sell a house? And not to get interference in there where you might put yourself in a position where you force a negotiation or you force the idea of buying a house just so that you can take a box and say, yeah, we got this and I'm on track. Mm-hmm. Because that would violate everything I stand for as a realtor. You know, if it's not the right house and you get experience and you get really good at this now, I can foresee when someone has written an offer and they're not going in the path of happiness and it's better to just ditch that deal. One of the things that, this is actually a good story. This will help give some uh, clarity to this, this aspect. When I started as a real realtor, (laughs) (laughs) realtor, Uh real estate, yeah, real estate, there were agents in here that were uh, very skeptical that a home inspector would be able to sell houses because they would be trained to look for the bad in a house. And I, I, I was aware of that at the beginning, but I couldn't help it. I was like, man, but it's got a crappy furnace and the roof's no good. And we got foundations issues, electrical issues, whatever. And there were times when I looked back and I went, holy cow, like I've unsold this house. Okay. For these people. But the interesting thing happened is that when we look at a house with a potential buyer, we look at the crap first. And if the crap is okay, this is going to be a smooth transaction. But if the crap is not good at the beginning, we might as well ditch this one and keep searching. Why go through all the emotional and physical work that it takes to go through two weeks of due diligence? Uh, you get your hopes up. Your family wants to come see the property only to later find out we have a foundation issue that we're not going to be able to swallow and maybe we don't negotiate it or whatever and we're never going to get there and we have to restart mm-hmm. because that leaves a really bad taste in the buyer's mouth 
and a seller's mouth. Yeah. It doesn't do anybody any benefits. Right on. And I, I think, again, there's like an integrity factor of it prioritizing a client's emotional journey. You know, the currency we all have to spend on the things we undertake in our lives, like buying or selling a home is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, you know, a made easier with a realtor. Realtor. <laughs> Real estate. Um, but, but making sure that that journey is not unduly arduous for them or painful unnecessarily is um, just to get, you know, a sale or something. Sure. I, th- I think that comes back around to the empathy and to an, a certain integrity factor that people are probably happy to hear. That's a part of it. <laughs> there, there's definitely people that I've worked with that because they didn't get through a transaction on their first go, stepped back for six, eight months and reevaluated their desire to want to buy a house. Yeah. Because I don't think they really understood that you're not just buying a home. You're also buying a very large mechanical thing that breaks and needs to be restored and needs to be maintained. And if you're not physically or financially ready for that burden, then you need to reevaluate your desire to want to buy one. Mm -hmm. Because I say this on one hand and then on the other hand, just to contradict what I just said, there's been lots of people I know that have bought in homes destroyed them and still made money on them because real estate just has that tendency. It just works that way. It just works that way. I mean, it's a timing thing, but for sure, like you can get away with that. But I think for most people, they want to, you know, maintain that large investment. So there is things that you need to be aware of and, and definitely learning. And for my sake, when I purchased a home, like I feel like I matured as a human being because I was, you know, like I was like very aware of the lifespan of a hot water tank, you know, and you know, maybe your parents, when you went on holidays would shut the water off to prevent potential leaks. And as a kid, you didn't really get that. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, as a 20 year old, I was very aware where the water shut off was when I went fishing for three days. Cause I did not want to come home to a flood because I knew I had a very old dated hot water tank. And so, you know, in the back of my mind, it's playing out the scenario of what does a flood look like in a house? <laughs> How am I going to deal with that? How do I deal with that? Who pays for that? Yeah, that's right? sort of, um, it's like a whole new plateau of responsibility, which can be, yeah, really fulfilling life milestone one, but it's not small. It's like having kids probably. It's not like having kids, but in a similar way of like right. this taking on a, a responsibility, you're, you're shifting your a, perspective. You're yeah. taking on a big re- responsibility. Yeah. You know, you drive like on a nice Sunday afternoon in May, you drive down a nice subdivision, you're going to see people outside, you know, pulling little weeds out of their yard and, you know, just kind of like putzing, putzing around with their fence. And you might think, you know, like they have nothing better to do, but it's just pride. It is. It's just pride of ownership mm-hmm. and like care. I love seeing that in people because I just know going into that person's house that everything is just going to be tittled mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's going to be in a, you know, a good state or at least a... Yeah you know, they're, they're aware of what's ticking inside their, you know, big mechanical investment. (laughs) It's a nice thing to see. I like seeing people putzing and that's a a day well spent when I'm like just working on my, working on my home zone. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. It does. Yeah. What advice do you have for, let's say a first time homeowner? I know that's a big question, but right now with 
real estate and home ownership feeling farther and farther away for a younger generation who doesn't have wealth built up, maybe doesn't have any family assets to contribute to, you know, a first time home purchase, how can somebody younger get into the market who, and, and by young, I also mean broke (laughs) (laughs) generally. Um, well, I think for starters, you just need to commit. So I think a lot of people are overwhelmed with the idea that, you know, I can't save 900 bucks to, you know, go on a trip to Banff for the weekend or whatever. I don't know. Like, so how am I going to save up, you know, 150 grand to buy my first single family home? I think it comes down to the idea of committing to that. It's like anyone can do anything they want. It's not hard to make money. You just have to. It's not? No, it's, it's actually not hard to make money. <laughs> saving money is the hard part for saving some. Saving money, not mm-hmm. spending money mm-hmm. is the hard part, right? So I think anybody can save that amount of money. But they're, the people that say they can't have committed to the idea that they're not going to be able to. So if you bring me someone who says, here's my bank statement. I'm in the whole 80 bucks. You say I can do it. Show me how. I will help build you a plan and it will become reality. I promise you I will do that for you. <laughs> because you can. It, it might take not watching Netflix all night and finding another way to generate an extra couple hundred bucks uh, a week, a month to start that program. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are strategies. There's definitely ways. Mm-hmm. If your parents live nearby, you can rope them and tie them up in your basement and <laughs> bleed them out as much money as you can to help you because that's going to be probably one of the better uh, strategic ways to do it quicker than later. Okay. <laughs> but you heard it here first. There are, there's a, a trillion ways to do it. You just have to be committed. And creative, perhaps. You're going to have to be creative and you're going to have to be uh, very disciplined with, with like, this is what I want to do. And I think, not that I'm, I'm not being interviewed here, but as someone who is not yet a homeowner and uh, like... What I've, the message I've heard a lot is just get in where you can find, yeah. find something low priced. Maybe it's not the neighborhood you want. Maybe it's not the size you want, but as a stepping stone, like set your sights on not the $2 million mansion. Sure. With just the horse getting, stables, getting in the game, getting, get in the game so that you can ladder up, get in the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first place I bought was like a, like a penthouse condo. It wasn't a very big one, by the way. I say penthouse like it's some cool thing, but it was just was the top, top floor. floor. <laughs> it had like a 20-foot ceiling, so it seemed big, but it was like 700 square feet. That was not my lifestyle. I had a boat, I had a dog, and I liked to fish. That was There was nowhere for that life to be in that condo, but I rented it out. Mm-hmm. I, was, I got in the game. like I found the, the entry point, which later built the revenue that I could to put a down payment on something that was more my style. Mm-hmm. So if you're... And if you're scraping by and you're trying to make it work, maybe it's your lifestyle that you have to commit to changing in order to get in the game. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it, if you're not willing to commit to that, then maybe you're not willing to commit to getting in the game. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a choice that you make. It's, I see it. That as days go on and as years go on, it becomes like a bigger commitment than it ever used to be. But that's just what's happening. So I, I don't... I don't think that's going to change. It's just going to be whether or not you can 
not watch Netflix or, you know, maybe... You really hate Netflix, don't you? When I watch Netflix... (laughs) This is the second time you've mentioned Netflix and I feel personally attacked, No, okay. (laughs) Let's back it up. When I I spend an hour on Netflix, I feel super guilty at Mm -hmm. the end. Because I'm like, what could I, I could have been planning my day tomorrow. That's what I should have been doing. So yeah, I, I pick on Netflix. Because you're a doer. <laughs> I maybe, not when I was watching Netflix, I wasn't. <laughs> and it, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Time wasters. Uh, time, what is it? Time you enjoy wasting is not wasted. Right. I think I'm going to say John Lennon said that, but I might be lying. I'll fact check that before we post this. Interview. Let's just let's just imagine that it was true. Imagine. Do you say that because oh I said John goodness. Lennon? <laughs> <laughs> just funny. imagine all the people. Imagine all the people <laughs> living for today. Okay. Okay. We'll move on. Um, What's the next line in that song? Um, yeah, because I couldn't think of it either. You. <laughs> So Parker, we've talked about your typical day, ideal days, how you got here, but what about when you're not being a realtor, a real estater, a real estate professional, what do you like to do in your time off? I like the outdoors. Mm -hmm. I really like the outdoors. I like, um, everything I have this, um, it's going to bring up a good story. So years ago, we went on a family holiday and it wasn't the typical family holiday that we would go on. Normally it's like, we're either going to go to Disneyland or we go on a cruise or we go to a, like a different country and we explore pools and beaches. Okay. And is this with like you, your wife and your two kids? Yeah. Okay. So we, we did a very short notice trip where there was really not much of a plan. However, I wanted it to be very earthy. So there's going to be lots of hiking there's going to be lots of like visual stimulation with, uh, mountains. And we went to the grand Canyon. We did a bunch of stuff. Anyways, come home from that trip. And my kids tell me this is the best holiday we've ever been on. Wow. And we didn't spend a whole lot of money. And so then I came up with this idea of this, this fun, pure factor. Okay. So what's fun that you remember what real fun is has to be pure. Mm-hmm. So this purity factor is like a ratio. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has nothing to do with real estate, by the way. And so if you went on a hike, let's say you went on a hike, it, that would be like you were on a trail. That would be very pure fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got exercise, you released the endorphins, you got a good sweat on, yeah. did some exercise. Birds chirping, sun shining. Beautiful day. Yeah. Everything's great. You come back and you're like, I feel, I feel great. Whereas if you went on a roller coaster, which is a really unpure thing, it's like a man-made thing. It's like entertainment. It's designed to stimulate short term. And based on fear. It's a scary, it's based typically okay, a scary, yeah, yeah. thrilling thing, which some people really enjoy, but it's like uh, gut dropping. Right. Yeah. So then I would challenge the idea that in 20 years, you would not remember the roller coaster ride but you'd rather you'd remember the more pure thing. Okay. So that's why the holiday was such a, put it like a, such a, an impression on my kid's mind because there was like things that we did that were very pure. And then if we did something where we went to like Disneyland, 
although it's Disney and yes, you're going to, you're never going to forget Mickey Mouse. Yeah. A lot, you wouldn't be able to remember all the little details of it because it was very, it was like invented for Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And it's sort of like fun, 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 fun. Like the, the fun. There's too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's too much fun. (laughs) I see that. So if you place my value, it would be everything that's more pure. And I'm not like a purist, but just like, but I think you mean like in terms of, do you mean nature pure or like that also too is family time together. Like that, there's a pureness to that. It's really sweet too. Sure. But like pure, I think in the sense that you are saying is like involving the natural world around you. Yeah. Like enjoying and taking in things that are actually real, Mm -hmm. not manufactured. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I like to do things that are like outside. I like climbing mountains, not mountain climbing, like with harnesses and helmets. Yeah. Just like walking up. <laughs> hiking. Hiking up mountains. <laughs> yeah. I like, uh, I like hunting and fishing. I really like, uh, eating wild meat. Mm-hmm. It's very important that I, I do that. I, I, I enjoy the pursuit of the hunt and, uh, it might minutely be an infatuation. I'm not too sure. My wife would say she, it is. <laughs> that you have an infatuation with... Just hunting and fishing and yeah. being outside. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty primal skill, right? Like that that's ancient times. That's 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 part of your primordial DNA to And same with being entertain. a real estater, like because mm-hmm. that's shelter, which is one of those very important primary uh needs. Needs. Essential needs. What was is Ma- was it Maslow? We're gonna have to fact check this now. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Hierarchy of needs. I think. Yes. Mm. Shelter, food, safety. Safety. I almost said water, but I feel like food and water, maybe, yeah. maybe they lump those together. Yeah. Let's go with that. Okay. We'll Google it. <laughs> Fact check that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I had a couple more little questions, but I feel like we kind of covered it here. Is there anything that you want your listenership folks to know about you? What haven't I asked you about yet that you want to share? Uh, so let, let's make a, a slight change to that question and say, instead of just me, the one impression that I would like to leave on listeners that are thinking about buying or selling houses. Love it. Is that they should really evaluate and research their realtor before choosing one. So like if you are in the market to buy or sell trying to establish what kind of agent you want before just reaching out to uh, your girlfriend at work who's related to one might be the most strategic and, uh, and financially gratifying things you can do in the process of buying or selling a house. And to follow up on that, what, what, do you bring to that equation? Like if somebody chooses you, what are they getting when they get, when they call up Parker Bennett for a real, real estate transaction? Well, they get, uh, they get commitment for one. Mm-hmm. So if you're deciding to list or purchase your house, I'm, I'm in if we say I'm in. When we're in, we're in. Yeah. We're, we're walking down this line. So um, 
from a purchasing perspective, it's high IQ on the mechanical and structural things. You're getting that up front. So just walking through a house, you are going to know 95% of what you're going to need to know through your home inspection in that short period, that 25 minutes that we go through a house, which I think saves a lot of time and can be very strategic in negotiations. From a negotiating perspective, I continually read, uh, did I say read? I meant listen to audiobooks. <laughs> um, audiobooks. I know how audiobooks work. <laughs> and study, like, not just the art of negotiation, but because I was a home inspector here for eight years and dealt with realtors before the eight years I became a realtor, I did get to establish some of the ways that other realtors would negotiate and the ways that they might communicate things to their clients. I think that's advantageous in negotiations big time because Mm -hmm. I know when there's a low IQ mechanical person and maybe, I don't want to say we're going to take advantage of them, but we might be able to dramatize issues in favor of whichever way we're looking at it, Mm -hmm. right? Leverage. Leverage, yeah. Um, So I think the negotiation part of his big thing, and and from a selling perspective, is I'm very open to being very creative at um, marketing a property. So I know that the MLS system is the most strategic tool most realtors use and have at their fingertips. Um, But in in an awesome market, the MLS can do a lot for you. It can sell the house without being super strategic. But we are not heading down that road right now. We're going to go into a softer market and you're going to have to be more creative with your marketing in order to achieve the same outcome. So this is maybe the time when we can shine a little bit more brighter Mm -hmm. because we're going to look at uh, different tools now that we have time to negotiate or to uh, market properties because before it was, it's on the market and seven days later it's gone. And now we might be sitting on the market for 20 or 30 days and we might have to really be creative at finding new paths to get to the, to the buyers for what we have to offer our product, right? Yep. It's a real, the difference between what you think of a property and what I think of a property is, is how we perceive that value. So if we can manipulate uh, the perception greater then we'll get paid for it. There you go. Um, and thank you for answering that, by the way. I think my wrap-up question then is it ties into to what you're saying here about creative ways to market. Like we're sitting here on a podcast that you have created <laughs> and um, will continue with, obviously. What brought you to the podcasting world of things? Like what? why podcasting? Because my gums move quite a bit sometimes, and I thought maybe if we just recorded it, it might be okay. He loves to flap his lips. (laughs) Uh, Like, so just, you know, I think looking back 20 years, how did we communicate? You know, it was probably radio and television and newspaper, and I don't think the future generations respond well to that anymore. I mean, I don't, I know that we still watch TV. Should I say Netflix? <laughs> no. Go ahead. Throw them under the bus one more time. I, I, you know, I still think we, we have a phone in our hand now. And it has, when we're looking at a property, the first impressions we're going to get of that property are going to be on a three by three inch screen in front of our 
front in front of our lap. Yeah. So that's the tool that people are using. 90%, 95, I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's, it's definitely the majority. So what are, what's in that tool that we can effectively communicate with? And I think podcasting is just something that I've, I listen to lots of podcasts. So I, I take what people say for, yeah, very careful to see what their motives are and, you know, why they're saying certain things. And I think that listeners should do the same if they're listening to a podcast. You know, what's the goal of the guy speaking or the gal speaking? What's her objective in this conversation? But I never intended this to be a, this is probably the most marketable PB thing we've ever done on a podcast. <laughs> we mostly try and keep it neutral and that it's just data and strategic stuff, right? Not so much like, Hey, pick me and look at me. I smile the best. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, it's a, it's a, it's a handy tool. It was a handy tool for me to communicate. I choose that path. So I think that's what, uh, what drove me to wanting to use. And it's, what's interesting about a podcast is the, the depth of reach. Let's say I did an interview on I did say global a couple of times and I got nothing against global, by the way. <laughs> it just happened to be, but just big news. Let's say I did a, 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 an interview on a news broadcast. The life expectancy of that is like gone mm-hmm. the next day. Nobody's re, you know, always YouTubing past interviews of somebody on, um, you know, any news station or at least it's not a, that's not a big that's not a big portion of where that comes from, right? No, but, and it gets immediately washed out by the next hour of the 24-hour news cycle. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, a podcast just has like a longer life expectancy. So it's, you know, it's information that can be looked at later and, and brought back. And you can actually go back and listen to my predictions. And then you can call me on it when I'm wrong. Because <laughs> pre-COVID, I didn't see this coming. Nope. Right? Yeah. So it's... You know, if you say something stupid, I mean, it's in the it's internet a, world forever. On record. So you've got to be really careful what ever. you say. Yeah. That's true. Um, so you said you listen to podcasts. Do you have any podcast recommendations for your listening audience? I listen to a lot of hunting and, and outdoor podcasts. Um, I'm a big Gary V guy. So he's a Gary Vaynerchuk, which is like a, he's kind of gone and spun into some different directions, but uh, even Joe Rogan, I mm-hmm. take him carefully too because mm. Things come out of his mouth that aren't actually factual. His podcast episodes are also four hours long. I right. can't do it. That's a long podcast. Like, no offense, Joe, but like a little offense, Joe. I, right. I don't need to get into that right now, but. Yeah, I mean. It's too long. I don't do podcasts where I'm like, okay, let's sit down and let's listen to a podcast. <laughs> I'm always doing something mm-hmm. else. So if if you're like out in the yard or you're doing something, or you're driving, you to get earphones in, you're listening to a podcast. It's kind of like background noise, but it's also maybe better than not just listening to nothing or mm-hmm. you can learn something, right? Hear a new perspective. Yeah. I, it's my companion for house chores. I'm wa- totally. I never wash dishes totally. without a podcast on. Right. Yeah. And then there was this like really intelligent person who told me one time that maybe too much podcast is like, washing your brain of not actually spending creative time thinking. So if we go back to the very first question you asked me, uh, which was, what is my, what is your favorite thing about me? Yes. (laughs) So maybe the most, uh, maybe the most, um, imprintable thing that you've put on me is the fact that we, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. We, we said, Hey, you know, maybe when you go on a hike, you should 
Try not, silence. Try silence because then your brain has time to like think about creative things. And you're right. Totally. It's crazy. I, yeah, I, I came to that through like uh, a, a book I had, I was reading about fostering your creative process. Right. And this, this, the challenge in that book was to do a week, a full week of no media input. So no Netflix as as we've right. said before, um, no radio, Ding. no, no, really no reading online at all. Like nothing with the screen. Right. And it was really uncomfortable for a few days as I moved through my day with like endless time to just think. But by the end of the week, I, yeah, had freed up all of this thought space that, um, the power of not listening to anything or not having white noise, it's amazing what can what kind of thoughts you can actually come up with while you're hiking or sure yeah do, I mean like doing the dishes really suck during that week though I won't lie <laughs> right, yeah. so it's something I want to invite back into my life to have well maybe some you, more you intentional it, silence you do it during chores because it's like a chore is like the chore better kind of bums yo mm-hmm. and you'd bring it up with uh, you know a podcast or something or something entertaining wise but then you could like go for a walk or something and then literally leave your mind to a goal where you say, okay, I'm going to come up with a strategy for something. And then, you know, you might spend a week thinking about that. And 99% of that time is completely like, I no, I didn't come up with it. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden you think of something and it might even not be the thing, but it leads you to the thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's, like a eureka moment. A eureka. Yeah. Right. It's true. You can only think about it when you have don't you're not competing for brain space. Brain space. Yeah. No, you're a hundred percent that that impression has been significantly stamped in my brain. <laughs> well, there's a tool for us all to use moving forward. Yeah. We are definitely gonna hashtag motivational uh, on this podcast. We're changing lives here today, we're, Parker. We're definitely doing <laughs> we're our inspiring job. Inspiring people, we're <laughs> motivating, we're telling them how to pronounce realtor. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I think that pretty much sums up all my list of questions I had prepared. Cool. So thank you for listening to our our faithful listeners here at the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast with Parker Bennett. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 